Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You know, no one is calling me in to just play like a cashier, right? No one's like, oh, and these people can just exist in the world as bit parts is always like a specific, like, we are going to fucking have a non-binary like right, Che right. Diaz. It's either nothing or yeah. it's Che Diaz. Like, exactly. No exactly. in-between. There's no fucking in-between. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what Welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that wants to wish its editor, Jess Garcia, a very happy birthday. I'm Carolyn Bergier. Happy birthday, Jess. I'm Melody Kamali to everyone else. And today we're diking out about TV writing with Brittany Nichols. I have been wanting Brittany on this podcast for so long. So uh, very exciting when we get one of uh, the guests from what I would call the OG spreadsheet of guests. Mm, Okay. Yeah, sometimes I go back to that spreadsheet and I look, I'm like, oh, this is so cool that we've gotten so many of these people and uh, so many we also haven't gotten yet. But stay tuned. Looking forward to it. Stay tuned. Indeed. A few reminders, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Join our Patreon now with Discord. We're going to have another Patreon hang this month over Zoom. Join ASAP so that you don't miss it. I think it's going to be this week that you're hearing it. So um, it's not too late to sign up at that $20 uh, a month level where you will also get tickets to um, our shows. So much going on on Patreon. So much going on on our Discord. We have, what, 40 channels on there now of everything from... And counting. (laughs) I love it. I love it there. But if someone couldn't even sign up for the $20 a month level and they wanted to video chat with other patrons, they could on Discord. Right, right. At the $10 a month level. And then at $5 a month, you get an extra episode every week where we dike off topic. This week, we talked about a bunch of things. I talk about my actual gayest thing. Uh, talk about some shows we're watching on TV, like Inventing Anna, The Dropout. We talk about um, comedy stuff, uh, including a show I was on, which had a, a little bit of controversy. Whoa. <laughs> so much fun stuff. So uh, head over to patreon.com slash out. Also, we have a show at Stonewall coming up uh, March 28th, a great lineup. We're excited about it. We'll see you there as long as this new sub variant. (laughs) Stay the fuck away. (laughs) Christ. Can you believe this? No. I mean, yes, but really, you know. Sub variant. What? It's just, what's it called? Did we name it? I don't don't, know. I don't think so. Great. Yeah, I loved reading that it's 30% more contagious and just as severe. <laughs> so yes, that's that was my favorite part. 
yeah. Uh, anyway, I'd rather think about better things like gayest things. Gayest things, even. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, well, what's your gayest thing of the week? I had a bunch to, to pick from, but definitely settling on uh, the fact that I went to a hot rabbit party. But this one is their surf party. It's a new thing that they're doing at Spin, which is famously Susan Sarandon's uh, ping pong club that uh, she <laughs> has like opened and it's franchised or something like that. I don't know. In New York and in other cities, I guess. It's my first time going to spin, but uh, Cecilia and I love ping pong and we have a new friend who um, plays like in a league and then we had some other friends that are like we love ping pong too. So it's just a, a bunch of dykes playing ping pong uh <laughs> at a hot rabbit party and there was also like drag going on it was just very gay very fun uh but also i think the gayest thing within that was my frustration maybe this is the most capricorn thing about this my Mm. frustration with um all the people spending a lot of time at tables while they clearly were not good at ping pong and didn't know how to play and i'm like leave it for us who you know, can have an interesting game going. I like for, it. It was like a an hour and a half of like waiting around tables trying to get a game, and like people just being like oblivious and like hitting it. Where I'm like, go dance, go dance. I've never been there. Are there like a ton of tables? Are there a there few are a tables? good amount of tables? No, is it like it, a it barcade. Was- feel kind what is of. this yeah like i don't know if they clear out tables for for the dance floor for the, this event but i would say you know there's like at least maybe like 15 tables you know it, it's it's a lot of people and and then like by the time the tables open up it's like later in the night when people have had a lot to drink so then it's like not as fun to play against people i don't know i take ping pong very seriously one of um the gayer things uh, about me. <laughs> right. Ping pong feels very gay. Yeah. My parents actually just got back into ping pong. I grew up uh, watching them. They were so competitive. They would never let me play. It's Persians love ping pong. And they found some Persians in the 55 and over community they retired to recently. Yes. So they're getting back into the ping pong. And that made me realize I love ping pong table tennis as some people know it as I also love tennis that's my gayest thing I've started looking at tennis lessons to get back into it I used to play as a kid and I love how all the sports I've brought up lately on like the last month like yeah figure skated tennis like okay you Connecticut Connecticut. (laughs) um so I'm excited tell me you grew up in Connecticut without telling me you grew up in Connecticut also (laughs) gymnastics um My sister did all the team sports and I did all the um, loner sports growing up. Is your sister a field hockey gal? No, I actually played field hockey, believe it or not. Um, I played volleyball, uh, which is gayer, but I dislocated my shoulder doing a spike during tryouts my sophomore year. And my shoulder, instead of making contact with the ball and going forward, I was like in the air, hit the ball. It dislocated, fell backwards behind me, completely dislocated. My arm was behind me. My coach 
put me down on the ground and tried to put it, pop it back in, but ended up making it worse and pinched a nerve. And so I had to go to physical therapy. They told me I couldn't finger women play volleyball. Oh, I couldn't finger. Wi- no, I could finger women because they told okay. me I can't do anything sports with my hand over my head. Under is OK. So, oh, OK, I could. Well, uh, it depends on how you finger women. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if if bunk beds were at play at this point in your life. You uh, know, not sometimes. even a first kiss. Not okay. even Great. a first kiss at well. this point. <laughs> so then I d- played field hockey because I, I had to play a sport. I mean, Dykes got to play a sport in the fall. So wow, did that. Keep us posted on getting back into tennis. I will. Otherwise, what else is your gayest thing? Are you wondering why it says tinctures on our? I Google am wondering doc? why it says tinctures. <laughs> yeah, I'm like tinctures tennis. What's the connect? Um, uh, they're not connected at all. Okay. You just reminded me with the table tennis of it all. Um, my gayest thing is I'm going full Eastern medicine and not in a wellness to white supremacy pipeline type of way. I'm very aware <laughs> of the dangers of the wellness industry. OK, um, I've just you know, it's been a long project getting my period under control and the PMDD and mood swings that come with it. Yeah. My sister directed me to this girl organic Olivia, who I'm convinced is a witch. You can look her up on Instagram. At one point I started following her Instagram. My sister sent it over during the pandemic, like lockdown, lockdown, still in a pandemic. Okay. Um, (laughs) with variants, she, um, her dad, her, both her parents, this organic Olivia got COVID and her mom was in really bad shape. Um, she started concocting all these different potions for her parents to use. Obviously modern medicine helped, but I started following her because I saw all these like things she was concocting. I was like, well, this is a very interesting person. I have been experiencing hair loss over the last how many years I ordered her main magic hair tonic and Ooh. my hair started growing back. I was like, what is really? It's just like nothing's worked because I've taken pills like Rogaine for women. Nothing's worked. But I took one bottle of this main magic tincture. It started regulating my periods and my hair started growing back. Now I have this embarrassing. Do you see this? These short hairs coming up on my hairline. Amazing. So then I started looking at other products on her site glowing reviews there's this period regulator flow control or something it's called i got that i got this like mood juice it's like queer people we love a tincture a salve a lotion a balm i got all of it i'm so excited to lean into this holistic journey and i it's already helping with my like sobriety like because I'm not drinking as much because I want to monitor the effects of this I'm journaling again to monitor the effects on my mood but it's like everything's moving in a just generally well direction we need to not tell her about this episode and get her as a sponsor Olivia I know I know I just gave a free ad but I I'm so floored hey, by this. you sound passionate yeah I'm gonna check it out main I, magic yeah I believe in in that stuff I feel like I had some hair loss with COVID actually so um yeah people in the reviews were talking about that specific type of hair loss or like brittleness yeah. that it helped with yeah, yeah. Right, long COVID maybe. stuff well you sold me well there's your ad sorry snake oil sales lady <laughs> <laughs> I'm so into it. 
Well, you know what else I'm into? Today's guest, we are diking out with writer, comedian, and actor Brittany Nichols. Brittany currently writes for ABC's Abbott Elementary, and other credits include Black Lady Sketch Show on HBO Max, Take My Wife, and the indie film Suicide Kale. She's also a community organizer with Ground Game LA. Let's get to it. All right, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us and diking out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Are you out in L.A. right now? I am, yes. It's a little little chilly for L.A. right now. Yeah, I was surprised to see you wearing a, like a knit hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will wear that as long as it's probably 70 or under, so it's not a right. reliable indicator. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Brittany, we ask all of our guests, we'd like to know. What is the gayest thing you did in this last week? I, you know, unfortunately, I feel like it's related to the weather. I've had <laughs> several iced coffee drinks, even though it's been like 50 degrees. And I feel like <laughs> yeah. drinking iced beverages, despite the weather, is a pretty uh, gay thing to do. Yes, it really is. I've For got sure. a cold brew the size of my head right here. Second of the day. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to trace that back to. I feel like with a lot of the things we do, there's some like root cause or some explanation, but we're just right. all on that same page for no reason. Where's the science? I know. I know. I want to know when did this become broadly accepted? Because it felt like years ago, someone said cold brew and iced coffee is queer. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, obviously. And we ran with it. Yeah. All right. We can claim it. We can claim whatever we want for ourselves. So that is a great Maybe we one. We have warmer hands. Maybe our hands are just <laughs> always hot. So we don't need a hot beverage. I like that. It's <laughs> enough science. Or is it are queer people impatient? Is that a thing? Because like with iced coffee, you could drink it right away. But if you're getting like a drip, you have to wait for it to cool off. And who has time for that? We have things to do. We, we have time to, to make agendas. Up for it. Yeah. To, yeah mm-hmm. You know? Move. Yeah. So that's going to be my theory. I like that one. All right. Great. <laughs> okay. We're diking out about TV writing. We want to get into a little bit of your background first, though. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Maybe your path to TV writing? What led you there? Yeah. What led me to TV writing was not wanting a job, I guess, is really what <laughs> yeah. it came down to. I just had no idea what I wanted to do when I graduated from college. I went to Minneapolis for a summer and worked at a social justice nonprofit. Then I moved to the Bay Area and lived there for a year and did freelance marketing consulting for a startup. And Mm. then I ran sports camps for kids. And I would get home at like 3, 4 p.m. I would like ride my bike there and back. And I would be exhausted uh, because working with kids is very tiring. Yeah. Yes. And I would uh, take a nap get up, make whatever I was passing off for dinner at the time, probably like rice aroni with like chicken breast or something, <laughs> uh, and would watch TV, watch live TV. I This very, sounds unheard <laughs> of now, but it's when like The Office and Community, uh, 30 right. Rock, Parks and Rec, it was like that era of all those yeah. shows being out. And I got on Tumblr one day and one of the community writers was like, I never realized that being a nerd and liking TV could be a job. And I was like, nor did I until this moment. 
and then that just sort of started me on the road to just move to LA and see if I could make it happen. I love it. What did you study in college? Uh, I st- studied American studies. I always wish like that uh, I had studied something like that. But then everybody who studies something that's not like more career focused, I like I majored in advertising. I'm like, I wish I majored in everything. But because you don't need to do that to work in advertising, just like I don't think you have to major in like a TV writing to be a TV writer. But then but then everyone I know who's like, oh, I, I majored in like English or whatever, they're like, no, I regret that. Do you think that helped you having just a background that was? Uh, Well, we didn't have anything close to television writing or film production. Like we really didn't have any majors like that. I majored in that because those are just the classes that I liked. I was like, oh, I keep taking this type of class. Seems like I'll eventually just have the credits if I just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, And it prepared me to write think pieces, I think. That major should just be called uh, think piece. Yeah. (laughs) It was before like think pieces were a thing. So I ended up writing for this website called Auto Shuttle for a while and eventually was like an editor there. Um, And I think it it did prepare me for that because it was a lot of um, like media criticism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like that's a great compass for picking classes. It's like, what am I interested in? Which sounds like a duh, like kind of thing. <laughs> like, yeah, take it. But I don't know. I don't feel like I did that in college. I was just like, what what teachers have like the hot peppers on ratemyprofessor.com? <laughs> oh and my like- God, I forgot about <laughs> that site. I was picking on almost everything but my interests. And then I finally took a women, gender, race, and media class. And it didn't even feel like work. Like it was couldn't wait to get home to do the readings <laughs> and like actually not procrastinating on my papers. I'm like, wait, I could have been doing this in other classes. (laughs) Well, I love that community was a compass point on your journey there (laughs) because every uh, TV writing class I took, like, and since then, they always bring the community pilot as the example of like a perfect pilot or like the pilot that we're going to break down and like learn from. Mm Community is just like always cited every time. And I love that you were watching a lot of that Thursday night NBC lineup because you're working on Abbott Elementary now, which feels like we we finally have a show that like feels like that golden age sitcom era. Congratulations on that show. It is my favorite show right now. So good. Thanks. Yeah, it is nice that that is what people say, because that's really (laughs) what got me into wanting to be a, a TV writer. But it feels like over the past decade, yeah, there have been so few shows that scratched that itch for me Mm -hmm. and so it sort of became this thing where I was like oh I won't write for a network like that's just not a thing I'm ever gonna do right uh and then this show came along and I was like oh I will look at this I'm gonna write for network (laughs) there's a show I actually uh want to write for that's gonna be on one of these channels and it's been great yeah because it really makes me feel like I did the thing that I set out to do And uh, there's just been so much time of doing, you know, streamers and all these other things that literally didn't even exist when I decided that this was what I wanted to do. So what were some of your first projects then that you worked on when you moved out to L.A.? And like, how do you even get started? Like you you said that you moved to L.A. in 
looking for work and uh, us being two comedians in New York, people are very much like, don't just move out to LA unless you have like a paid job out there <laughs> seems to be the the common advice from people in LA. But would you say otherwise? Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> Mary, so I would say <laughs> otherwise. All uh, right, we're moving. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just so many steps of things that you have to do before anyone here will take you seriously. And right. definitely not being here is like, just no, no one's going to like, in my experience, unless you have some connection or prior credits, like no one's gonna, at least maybe it's different now because Zoom and all that sort of stuff. But when I moved out here, you know, it was a decade ago and things were pretty different and no one was going to give you a job if you weren't in LA. And actually before I even moved, I was doing PA work on this indie feature And I had to like drive down to do that. Then I was a PA on The Voice and I had to drive down to do that uh, just to get some credits under my belt. And luckily I was like close enough where that was an option. I would literally get on Craigslist and find people who were driving down for the weekend and pay them like 30 bucks. And I would just ride with a stranger to LA. Different time. Uh, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) listen, when you really want to work in this industry, you will make some questionable choices. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I moved here and I just was doing PA work. And one of the first things I did was write a web series called Words with Girls. Yes. And this was, again, a totally different time where making a web series meant something (laughs) because everyone did, (laughs) just every single person in the world didn't have one. And I had watched Broad City and I was like a very early adoptee of the Broad City web series and thought it was incredible and saw how they were able to leverage that into getting their own show. And so I made the web series and then ended up doing a few more episodes with Hannah Hart, who was like a huge YouTuber. Right. Um, And that sort of just helped get my name out there and like build my brand a little bit in addition to like all the stuff that I was doing for Auto Shuttle. Um, And it just helped me honestly get like a small but dedicated uh, core group of fans, which was really meaningful at the time and gave me a little bit of leverage to start taking meetings with like places like Funny or Die. And that's how I ended up getting my first staff job was because of that web series. You know, I just remember the first person who gave me that advice was actually uh, Lauren Ashley Smith was like, don't move out to L.A. until you have a job. (laughs) But Lauren loves L.A., so I... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. So she just but... put off her own pleasure? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I know. I mean, she's, like, killing it out there. But, yeah, making a web series, was that, like, a huge learning experience for you? Did you feel like you got a lot out of it? Yes, because it let me just be hands-on with every part of the process with the very first thing I did. And I was able to do that because of the PAing that I was doing. I was able to connect with other people who were working either for free or for just not a lot of money who had uh, higher aspirations. And so it was easy sort of to bring people on board and say, hey, I know you eventually want to be a DP. I know you eventually want to be a producer. And right now you're an associate producer or you're an assistant. So come do this and we'll all be operating at the level that we want to (laughs) eventually be working at. Yeah. You know, everyone was able to make use of it. I think that's like a a key part of doing stuff like that is making sure that it's going to be advantageous for everyone that is sort of 
you know, sacrificing a little bit to do the project. And that web series is what led me to do a pilot version of it with Issa Rae because I Heard just her? cold emailed her <laughs> producer. She had a web series. Yeah, <laughs> she she did. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I ended up cold emailing her producer who stayed on wow. through Insecure, actually, um, the half hour version of the pilot. And then she ended up independently producing that. And then I was able to like basically show run that independent pilot. And so basically from the beginning, I was able to see like, oh, this is what it is like to sort of be in control of your voice and yeah, learn the decisions that have to be made. And, and I think it helped me when I was just like a staff writer or a story editor, because I felt confident in weighing in on decisions that were perhaps above my title. Right. It was like, I've been here before. I've sort of done this. I, I know what's up. And so I wasn't really intimidated by the, I guess, more businessy aspects of being a writer producer. Yeah, it can be intimidating. There's like the industry feels like shrouded in so much secrecy. And a lot of people seem to have to navigate that while balancing a fake it till you make it how much of that did you have to lean on versus how much experience you got from PA gigs or just like networking I think I just asked questions I think I'm just not afraid to say that I don't know something and I think that that is weirdly what holds a lot of people back is that need to fake it and I just don't have that at all I'm like I know that I'm good at my job I know that I'm funny I know that I should be here I know that I'm capable And I also know that there are parts of the industry that I didn't know at that time and that I still have yet to know now. Um, And I think that if you're working with people that you enjoy and that enjoy you as a person and they're not assholes, like they want to help you. They Mm -hmm. know that part of why people of color and queer people and women like aren't promoted is because they don't have that these answers, they don't have this skill set, they don't have this like base set of knowledge. And the only way that you can get that is by just straight up asking and straight up being like, if you just tell me what to do, I'm positive <laughs> that right. I do it. And so yeah, yeah, you just sort of have to advocate for yourself and just be confident, I think. Yes. I love that. You mentioned that, you know, right out the the gate, you were able to create stuff that was in your own voice and your voice for anybody who's familiar with it is hilarious. What shaped like your comedic voice? Did you do stand up or or anything like that? I did stand up uh, for a couple of years. Okay, but I mean, honestly, I think that just writing for Autostrado and tweeting and just doing the web series and stuff. I think it just was putting stuff out there and seeing how I felt about it. Yeah. Several months later, I guess, made helped me figure it out because I was like, oh, I still really like that. I still relate to that. That still feels like me versus, oh no, I think that was just like a joke that anyone could have told. Because I think that's really yeah. what your voice is. It's just, you know, writing jokes that no one else could have come up with. Um, and the only way that you do that really is to just write a bunch of jokes and sort of whittle it down from there. And I think like your voice is like such a weird thing because I don't know that I could just straight up tell you like my voice is X, Y, and Z. But right. other people are able to be like, oh, that's that's a you joke. You wrote that joke. Like I can tell yeah, yeah, yeah. in the, you know, watching an episode of Abbott, like my friends that are very close to me are like, yeah, yeah. And I know probably I could 
guess I think with a lot of confidence, which of these jokes are yours? And I think that's sort of what what you're hoping for is to be able to fit into a show cohesively while also still, you know, having it feel like it's part of you. That's funny because, you know, being friends with people who write for TV, especially like on on SNL, you'll see that people will be like, oh, did you write this? And then people are like, no, but that's really funny that you thought that that was the sketch that I wrote. Like, <laughs> like you can also learn a lot about people being wrong about that and being like, mm-hmm. oh, is this what you think my voice is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as it's funny, I think it's still a still a, a, a compliment because you're like, okay, oh, right, right. you just yeah. wanted to attribute the thing that you laughed at to me, which I will take as a win. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk about representation in the writers' rooms you've been in. So things that haven't been projects that you've been just like the co-writer on, but in, in the writers' room, what what has been your experience so far? Do you see it changing for like underrepresented groups? Hmm. Do I see it changing? I guess technically the numbers say it's changing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have worked, I think, primarily in rooms that have been fairly diverse. Right. I think, you know, part of that is informed by a lot of the people that I've worked for really making an effort. And, you know, I I check quite a few boxes. And so (laughs) if that's something you're looking for, I tend to be uh, (laughs) sort of high up on the list sometimes. Um, But I also think it's about you know, what sort of room you want to be in and what sort of jobs you gravitate towards. And I think that I just heard enough horror stories that I just was like, oh, well, it sounds like if I was the only one of something in a room, it probably wouldn't be fun. Uh, So I'll try to steer clear of that. And I guess I just have been honestly lucky enough that I've been able to have enough job offers, I guess, to, to sort of build a career without having to even test the waters on that, really. (laughs) Um, Like my very first job, I think, was in an actual room because I worked on Billy on the street and that was like a virtual, just like turn in a packet thing. But my first time in an actual room, I think was the only time where I was like, "Uh, this does not really fit the show that we are trying to make. And I think that it showed very clearly in what the outcome was and I think that they realized it while we were still in the room and so they tried to like sort of patch things together as the room was going but that was really I think the only time where it wasn't even like a majority of people that weren't straight white cis guys like that just hasn't been my experience blessed (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean to the other extreme black lady sketch show you wrote for right was that the first room <laughs> i'm just like whoa <laughs> like because i had friends who wrote for it mm-hmm. and that seems like a dream just representation wise how was that experience i think it was sort of wild at first because you're just not used to being able to center your own identity as like the voice of the thing that you're making. Like I think a lot of us were so used to writing for sort of a white, I guess, world that, you know, that world, the world that show is everyone is black. Like everyone in the sketches is black. And so there is no bouncing off of 
the idea of we are presenting this to a white audience or even white people in within the sketch, there's something to be taught or there's uh, a pressure or uh, uh, discrimination present, you know, like so many of these shows, even like Chappelle show, you know, a lot of that was about his experience with white people. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, when yeah. you're not playing <laughs> off of that, when you're not saying, oh, I am making this joke because of this awful experience, that's just not part of the comedy at all. It, it makes you go into like, I think a different place that a lot of us hadn't gone in before. We had to be like, oh, wait, we don't have to incorporate anything besides the knowledge of Black women. And yeah. even being able to explore, like, even what within that group, there are so many different bases of knowledge and so many things to play with and, and points of view and aspects. I think it really made me a, a much better writer because it just changed the angle that I was able to come from, I had never just been able to write from that angle before. What's it like writing for sketch versus episodic TV versus like reality TV or, or shows like Billy on the street? Uh, bad. <laughs> 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 I think sketch just has the lowest hit rate as far as yeah. like what's going to come together from the room to on set to on screen. I think it's just incredibly difficult it's so um, hard. And it's so much writing. I mean, that's what's yeah. beautiful about being in a half hour room. It's a lot of it is just like shitting around. We work. But a lot of it <laughs> is, you know, talking out loud right. to each other and bouncing ideas off of each other. And then the only thing you're really putting the paper is like the story area that outlined the script. That's it. Yeah. The sketch, we had we were turning in. I don't know how it was on the other seasons, but season one. We turned in a sketch a day. And right. so, and it got more intense as the week went on because you would turn in your Monday sketch and then Tuesday you would turn in your Tuesday sketch. Then Wednesday you'd be turning in your Wednesday sketch and you'd have notes on your Monday sketch. And Thursday you'd turn that one in and you have second round of notes on your Monday sketch and first round of notes on your Tuesday yeah. sketch. So it's just a super intense uh, amount of writing uh, that is just not the case on sitcoms. Right, uh, right. And so, I mean, I think that's the easiest reason to say why <laughs> I just much prefer scripted stuff. I think there are other things that go into it, but it's just a lot of work doing sketch and for yeah. just not the same amount of reward because it's even, you know, people watch dramas in such high numbers and people watch comedies in much lower numbers and then people watch sketch in even lower numbers than your half hour comedies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of which, what do you watch? I know a lot of um, 
like stand-ups can't watch stand-up comedy writers tend to gravitate a lot that I know at least to dramas or like procedural like do you have that aversion to things that are close to what you work on or do you just love the sitcom not at all I (laughs) I still really like comedies I I just love tv sort of in general Mm -hmm. Um, I'm usually not even a big fan of the high concept sort of like shows that everyone loves like I didn't like watch Game of Thrones I didn't really like that I wasn't like a Breaking Bad fan um I still like the shows that got me into comedy I think and I think a lot of the like comedy dramas that have come out have also been a real sweet spot of mine I I just sort of describe my favorite shows as just like white people on the east side of LA with boundary issues like (laughs) that is really my sweet spot (laughs) um and I'm watching this show right now called This Way Up is that the name of it I think I do think This Way Up is a show but I haven't watched it yet yes (laughs) but you recommend it oh I okay yeah yeah so that's a friend of a friend, Aisling, the Irish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I still need to watch that. So that's what I'm watching right now. It's great. Oh, hell yeah. And I really liked American Auto's commercial episode. I think it's like episode six or episode five. One of those. Nice. And I thought it was really, really funny. That's good to hear that you still like the comedies. Uh, I love it. I don't know why I, a lot of my friends who write in comedy just seem like hardened <laughs> to it. <laughs> but I'm like, come on, talk to me about Southside. Let's talk about, uh, I just love half love hour South comedies. Side. It's so good. Uh, I don't know. That's not a question. That was just a <laughs> proclamation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if you're working on something that you don't love, then maybe it's hard. I don't know. I feel like comedians get jealous really easily. <laughs> That's probably a huge part That's of it. it. That's yeah. definitely <laughs> it. Um, one question I have going back to sketch, because, you know, you do write so much and so much of it just never sees the light of day. Can you think of like a sketch that you had so much heart for that didn't get made? Yeah, I think the very first sketch I wrote for Black Lady Sketch Show, it just was not the tone of the show. But I think we didn't yeah. know what the tone of the show was yet. And, you know, you have to have some misses so that you can uh, figure it out. Right, but I right. wanted to do this sketch. Oh, my God. I have to even remember what, what it even was. But it was like a video game where... <sighs> it's really fucking dark. I mean, this is why it never will see the light of day <laughs> on, on any show ever, so I can say it. But it was a video game where it was like uh, black characters who were armed with the things they were holding when they got shot by cops. So oh it would be God. like, uh, oh yeah, yes, man. I know. Yes. Wow, that's brilliant. It's like, I'm ready to make a statement, but it was like, yeah. you know, someone with like a machete, you know, the typical sort of like, video game character right and then the other person would be holding like just something super innocuous and then all of the sort of commentary of the game because you remember that they used to have that thing that would pop up in the corner of like mortal Kombat and say yeah. like toasty like this shit like that so it would be like something yeah, yeah. popping up and just like commenting on how dangerous the person that was holding like skittles or what the fuck ever was wow. yeah using wow. that as justification just beat the shit out of them Pretty dark. <laughs> Don't know that that's funny at all. It sounds there were funny. Jokes in <laughs> it. <I know>. But... <laughs> yeah. 
maybe yeah a little ahead of its time um a little, a little too woke <laughs> well you are an activist too like a lot of your perspective is probably informed by that you do a lot of work within your community do you try to continue to bring those ideas into the rooms ever oh, yeah for sure yeah. um yeah i think working as an organizer uh definitely informs stuff i mean it just informs stuff that has like made it into abbott yeah. And I think the longer that I'm a writer and the longer that I'm an organizer, the better I am at weaving those things in. So maybe it was a little bit of <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of uh, early on in the journey for both of those things, for that to have been the sketch that uh, would actually work. Maybe now I could do it. But at that time, maybe it was a little too heavy handed yeah. in one direction. <laughs> How do you balance the the work you do with, with organizing and then like switching to like a creative comedy mindset i mean i just am a person who can sort of see the humor and things pretty immediately mm -hmm. which i think is helpful in organizing because i don't know there's that thing of like tragedy plus time equals comedy or whatever but for me the that the time is like a half of a second like i'm just immediately <laughs> able to just like process it and spit back out the thing that is i think humorous and often it's from you know the point of absurdity yeah and with community organizing yeah all of it's absurd the way that we exist in america is really fucking stupid and absurd yeah you know part of why tv writing has been such a great job for me is because i have so much free time and earlier on in life you know that was more informed by the fact that my brain just cannot operate in a nine to five go to work everyday situation like I it just does not do that and it just what how I use that extra time uh has changed because earlier it was just used by being uh driven out of my mind by the people I was dating and being in a constant state of misery and <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> I start making better choices in that department uh <laughs> and also you know started making more money so that I am stable enough you know i'm just like a normal sort of middle class person but i am able to sort of chop my checks up in a way that i can be stable for a year with one television job and to me it is really wild that more tv writers don't do that i think it's really kind of gross and makes me hate people <laughs> that everyone is sort of singularly focused on making themselves like a conglomerate and <laughs> making yeah. themselves a corporation unto themselves in which they think that they just need to work back to back to back to back instead of saying oh I have plenty you know there are people who are I'm not I'm still a mid-level writer I'm not even like making the big bucks and there are people that are and they just want to continue to amass money and, and power <laughs> instead of using our unique uh, positions of influence and freedom with our time to like give back and try to uh, fix things. Yeah. I have heard writers talk about or just being frustrated with how the industry has changed in terms of shows like it used to be when when network w was bigger you'd get staffed on a 22 episode show so you'd have a paycheck for like a little bit longer into the year and now there's just so much that's like okay this is a streaming show you get eight 22 minute episodes <laughs> and yeah 
and for the sure. and the pay reflects that. So oh, that's absolutely a thing. I think for lower level yeah. writers and for people that work in streaming and stuff, that's for sure something that needs to be addressed. Uh, yeah. But I think that those things being addressed is not then going to make people, you know, do what I'm doing. <laughs> I think people still very much uh, are coming from a place of I just want a, a lot of money. Like, of course, you right. should be able to survive off of one show. And our show is only 13 episodes. So it's not even, you know, the normal network order. But when you're a story editor, you make, I think it's $7,000 a week or something. And, you know, you only end up taking home 3,500, like half of that or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just imagine talking to someone who has a nine to five and being like, I made $3,500 for 13 weeks. Yeah. Plus my episodic fee. And. Ugh. What a nightmare. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like people are fine. Yeah. And in, in, in this position, people are fine. There are definitely situations where people are not fine. And that's something that needs to be addressed. But also at a certain point in TV writing, like you're just fucking rich. And there are so many writers who are not and who are struggling. But even the way that we treat rich TV writers is like really absurd. Like the fact that people can max out with how much they they give to the union like it's stupid that's stupid you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't have to right. pay dues on all of the money you make because that's what makes it easier for people who are still starting out to have insurance and to mm -hmm. like have the things that they need to survive and actually build a career so i don't yeah. know it's just like when you're making that argument to me you have to be supplementing that with like other information besides just I personally want to make as much as much money as as possible well it's also a thing I hear that people are always feeling like they have to um, hustle more and have things lined up because they're like any job could be my last job is that something you worry about or are you just confident enough that hey I've been doing great so far and um you know I know my reputation and I don't need to sweat that I mean I think if you're actually good at your job then yeah you just sort of start to get more jobs I mean it's also yeah. why like <laughs> agents are a sort of a waste of time <laughs> and just stealing your money for no reason um yeah let's talk about that <laughs> I mean, but it's also, you know, most people are bad at their jobs. I think that extends to television as well. I think most people in the world are not good at their jobs. And yes. that has to inform the conversation. You just have to be honest about like what you are able to bring to the table. I don't think that you being bad at your job means you should never have a job. I think that you just have to be honest about how much of that is why you may not have as easy of a time getting more work. Everyone's going to hate me after this. <laughs> no, we should have diked out about confidence. Also, what is your chart? <laughs> I'm a Gemini. Oh, I love it. I love it. I don't know why. I feel like when you write for Autostraddle, that's like something you have to submit ahead of time, like your chart and then like your resume <laughs> alongside it. <laughs> 
Abbott Elementary feels like activism too. Like it, fe- it feels like a show you're watching with like a good ethos behind the scenes while you're watching it. Like the show Quinta donated the marketing fund to actual schools in need. Is the writers' room also made up of like fellow organizers or just activist oriented people? Or am I projecting? I just, or am I obsessed and projecting my own? <laughs> no, I think that our room has pretty good politics. Yeah, I think that there are like multiple people in our room who would describe themselves as like leftists. Yeah, um, I think that people, definitely Quinta, is like super into bringing attention. You know, that's not the point of the show is to bring attention, but it's like, of course, that's going to be a natural byproduct of that. And trying to find more ways to do that in a way that moves things and that gives people a way to actually activate. You know, as an organizer, I think a lot of it is just education a lot of the time is that people don't know uh, so much of the things that are happening, so many of the bad things that are present all around us. And that's really the first step in getting anyone to do anything is just letting them know that this thing is happening and trying to capture that, I think, will be something that grows alongside the show, like figuring out where it is even appropriate for us to move people to action and in what ways. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we're still part of a evil corporation. Like the show is still making, (laughs) you know, ABC and Disney way more money than it is any person that's involved like it's not even a drop in the bucket what we as individuals uh get from the show compared to these sort of networks and studios so we'll we'll see uh we'll see we'll see (laughs) i'm i'm honestly you know pushing for for more things to happen but i think that you know i'd be lying if i said that everything that we've wanted to put in the show has like just been easy we've gotten pushback on stuff already and you know i think that that's our job is to do more of that and it was nice that everyone in the room sort of reaction the first time we got any pushback was oh there's no fucking way we're taking it out now (laughs) oh i love to hear that (laughs) when you co-wrote suicide kale i i read that you were saying you wanted to create something that didn't involve the typical queer tropes that we had seen like over and over again how how do you fight against that like (laughs) in a writer's room I I don't know to like I I guess because you've been in more diverse writer's room maybe it's like not as much a a thing but like how do you break out I I I guess maybe going against like the networks or, or the producers who are like but where's the male character or whatever it is Mm-hmm. Um, I just always think back to and maybe it was the community room again. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna some comedy nerd will correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a writer's room who just had a whiteboard of sort of every trope and every like overused, just like oh yeah, throwaway joke. I think it was like, always sunny. Maybe it was them, yeah. I remember seeing that image. Yeah, and it was like the stuff that was just like a character being like awkward, like that sort of shit <laughs> that just somehow becomes omnipresent. I think probably because TV writers don't watch other TV shows. And so to them, they're like, oh, this is what me and my friends are saying right now. And it's like, yeah, and also right. every other friend that exists in the world. And right. so now it's on the same joke is on five shows in the same season. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a lot just being aware of what other people are doing and what tropes are being created in the moment, you know, sort of just pushing things to come from a unique perspective. Cause I think that's the easiest way to get around tropes is just being as specific as possible. Yeah. I did have to look it up because it was bothering me. It was workaholics. Workaholics. Um, (laughs) And it's just like things like I'm a hot mess or like awkward much. (laughs) I love lamp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> what would you say is something that you've written that you feel most proud of? Um, I think it's Suicide Cow. I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because I think that it is really sort of how I think the industry should work. Um, and it's, you know, we made that completely out of the bounds of you know, what you're supposed to do and even how you're supposed to collaborate. I mean, like when you're on a show, it's not really uh, encouraged that you (laughs) like talk to actors about specific things they want to say or like where their characters are come from. Like the way that you navigate that situation is very specific um, because there is this sort of you know, I think self-fueling situation where you make actors feel like they don't have any agency over their own characters. And so they have to fight for everything. And so it is seen as this like naturally contentious thing uh, where you want to limit their participation or that you see them having an opinion on something as a challenge to the writing or undermining the writing when I just see it as like something that people should be able to have opinions on. Like it's a thing that's going to come out of their mouths. And that was sort of woven into the process of suicide kill. A lot of the dialogue is improvised. We had sessions before we shot the film where people got to like, say like, this is where I think my character is coming from. Even like sharing the backstory, right? Because actors often do, just an immense and incredible amount of work on trying to tap into characters and coming up with this backstory and what's informing all of this. And a lot of times writers have no fucking idea what that is or where they're coming from. And I think that if somebody's going to do that work there, you should ask them, you should be able to ask them about it. You should be able to get their opinion. And it also helps because you can catch things that, you know, aren't in line with what the writers think because the writers have some of those conversations too. And if someone has already built this backstory that is in complete contrast to what you all are eventually going to do, it's, I think, advantageous to catch that sort of stuff early on. So we were able to just weave that stuff into the script. And I think that that's why it feels as fun as it does. And it feels like those are real people. And it feels like that's a real friend group. And it feels like you're just at the table with real people because of how we ran that whole process as being just collaborative from sort of the word go. Is acting something that you would want to do more of? I was just going to (laughs) say. Yes. Um, Or whatever it is that I do that appears as acting, but is, I don't don't know what to call it. When I am acting, I'm like, oh, we're doing something different, I think. Did you do like theater as a kid or you're from the Chicago area? Did you ever take an improv class or? I took improv classes in LA. I had no idea any of these things existed really Mm. um, for a really long time. Um, I did some theater in college and 
yeah, it is something that I want to do more of. It's something that I have, you know, had issues with because I think that so much writing that is out there is just sort of bad to begin with. I feel really bad for actors a lot of the times <laughs> because I'm just like, I'm really sorry that you're being made to memorize this stuff that is really, truly terrible. Yeah. Um, and I think also, you know, being a gender non-conforming appearing person right and when people look at me that's not what they uh usually have in mind when they think of a woman um and being like a gender queer self-identifying gender queer lesbian it's hard to find roles that even make room for that um yeah. because i think that people you know no one is calling me in to just play like a cashier right no one's like Oh, and these people can just exist in the world as bit parts is always like a specific, like we are going to fucking have a non-binary like right, right. Diaz. It's either yeah. nothing or yeah. it's Che Diaz. Like, exactly, no exactly. in-between. There's no fucking in-between. Not allowed to be the next door neighbor. <laughs> yeah. And no. even like eight years ago before it got to, you know, where it is now, I was getting called there for all sorts of weird shit. I got called in to play like a trans woman one time. Because hmm. and and the trans woman was like written as just basically like a flamboyant gay guy. I was just like, what? So me, a gender non-conforming <laughs> woman, is coming in to play a trans woman who is embodying the yeah. like soul of a gay man. I was just like, this is so. People just have no idea what this even looks like. Yeah. And I, yeah, I stopped having talent agents because I was just like. I I'm tired of doing things that feel humiliating. I've been yeah. called in to just like play like someone who's imprisoned a lot of the time, which is like fucking nothing wrong with that. But why are you only coming to mm -hmm. me to play that? Like, obviously right. there's something weird happening with someone involved that that is yeah. the only role that they can uh, imagine someone that looks like me playing um slave i was just like i'm not doing anything where i'm I just don't want to fucking embody a slave just not not a thing i want to do mm. um so it just was super hard to find roles that i felt comfortable even auditioning for and so much of being an actor is just like going to auditions no matter what the case just so that casting directors can see you and right. i just do not have the uh personality for <laughs> for that yeah um and so a lot of the stuff i do is just when someone thinks of me and uh i don't know i guess i wish people thought of me more <laughs> us too i mean either you you have to write it for yourself or yeah you get get your friends because we want to see you on screen more too <laughs> So Melody and I are famously both Capricorns and really into like routine process. What's your writing process routine? Do you have rituals? Oh, I can't believe we didn't ask a day? I know. <laughs> it's honestly just doing it all at once. I write really fast, but I would consider the process of writing to sort of be ongoing um, I'm just constantly doing like voice notes and, you know, writing in my little Evernote app, uh, just, you know, spitting out scenes, spitting out character ideas, spitting out plot ideas. Um, and then at some point it sort of just like takes shape in my head. Like I just can sort of see what it is. And then I just like sit down and, and sort of write it all at once. Usually. What are the moments that are harder to write like where you you struggle and you feel like there's something blocking me 
I think I just get very picky about emotional beats because I I do really want things to sound real. I do really like a dialogue that sounds how people actually talk. And I think that there are so many different directions that sort of uh, moments of contention can go in. And I, I just will rewrite like an argument like 10 times because I think that's how arguments are. They're so informed by the tiny moments or like a perceived aggression that I think they can just take, uh, you can have the same, the argument that ends in the same place, the journey to get there can just be a million different ways. And so I think that's something that sometimes I just have to be like, and that's just what it's going to be. And I have to walk away. In terms of comedy, do you ever struggle with making jokes, um, like poking fun at your own like identities and community? So like I know like I did a stand up show last night where uh, where a queer comic was making fun of certain things and like some people really took offense to it in the crowd and there was a change in the crowd and I always feel like it, it can be a fine line, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I also think it's like a community that is so used to being uh, beat up and like so many jokes punched down at us. Right. That it even sometimes just like catches people off guard that it's like, oh, wait, one of us is making fun of us. Right. Um, yeah. It's disorienting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for but, people. but it's also sort of, I think why it's important to do because it sort of proves that there is a way to do it. There's a way to make fun of lesbians that is not inherently mean or offensive. Um, right. And I think that people just like sort of have to be given the grace to like figure out what that is um, because it isn't, you know, the same sort of X plus Y equals Z comedy that people are used to uh, because it just hasn't, been done a lot i guess is that answering the question yeah i think so yeah uh yeah i I guess like with suicide kill it's also interesting because i i I just feel like sometimes worried that people aren't going to know that i know that it's a joke you know how sometimes you like (laughs) write something and you're like i as the writer am aware that this is not great but sometimes people just like don't give writers sort of that benefit of the doubt yeah. or they think that it's like accidental that you're doing something, even though it's very much sort of on purpose. And like even sometimes a reflection of like who you once were or who your group of friends were and even right. trying to like play with that tension sometimes you know, if you just don't do it in exactly the right way, it sort of gives people uh, the room to, to make that bad read on it rather than it being like, I'm making this to sort of help other people work through this as well, or to be able to identify that in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like this character will grow out of this. Just give it time. Yeah. Yeah. Or also just like, sometimes people fucking suck. Like sometimes (laughs) people, people, women are like bad people. And uh, you get to portray that on screen sometimes. That's real representation. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I know plenty of people that are oh, pieces yeah. of shit. <laughs> they deserve to be seen. <laughs> Before we go, is there anything? Do you have a dream writing job? A dream something you're working on or would like to work on? What's what's next? I um pitching a movie right now with uh Carly Houston from Suicide Cal, who I yeah. produced that with and who was the director on that. It's a WNBA rom com. Uh so we're oh, trying hell to- yeah. <laughs> My <God>. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody light a candle. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so we're trying to do that. And I also just at one point want to make a uh TV show about a women's college rugby team again um people are yeah. like wet with anticipation right now listening <laughs> to this. this is <laughs> the sweet spot of our audience here <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really interesting because i feel like there's been like women's sports stuff and like more like queer women's focused stuff but there's just like that very obvious overlap in that world and yeah. it hasn't really been spoken to that much. I mean, I guess like Yellow Jackets. I was going to say, we didn't even get to see them play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we saw someone disastrously break their leg. Yeah. That was really sort of it. But I really want to see like actual like sports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In that and that with characters uh, of the queer variety. So. Hell right. Yeah. Instead so of us we. just pretending bend it like Beckham was gay, just actually exactly. right, exactly, just watching gay. love and basketball, like oh, oh, so just none of them, none of no. these <laughs> want overtones. Women's basketball players, okay, all right, <laughs> love all right. it. Well, yeah, you you are doing the work. Thank you so much for uh, making amazing content for uh, for our community, Brittany. Yes, oh, yeah. we salute thank you. you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, being patient because I had to reschedule the first time. Um, was a delight. No uh, where can people follow you on social media? I am at B is hilarious on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Perfect. Everybody follow Brittany. Thanks so much for diking out with us. This was a lot of fun. All right, let's both minimize um, our final draft windows because now we're all motivated to to get our scripts done, Mel, uh, and mm. answer this listener question, yes. which is a quasi-question. Uh, reminder, if you have a question, we need to fill up our our queue. So send it to dykingout at gmail.com. But let's talk about this one. All right. This week's listener question is simply, have you heard about the lesbian master doc? I've linked it. Nope. You haven't. (laughs) They linked it for us. A document that outlines all the symptoms of compulsory heterosexuality. It has recently answered my many specific questions about my own sexuality. And I wondered if you both may be interested in having this document as a topic for an episode. There's a lot to unpack. I've heard your episode on compulsory heterosexuality, but this wasn't mentioned. I'm aware of this doc. Really? TikTok. Oh, surprise, oh, surprise. Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, who who wrote it? Where did it come from? I didn't... 
sift through. It looks interesting. Um, I do love that it's called Am I a Lesbian Master Doc? Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's really funny. Part. Yeah. <laughs> we can link to it in, in the notes, though I'm I'm afraid it's going to replace the podcast. I feel like people type in like, am I, I a lesbian to Google? And then it's like digging out podcast here. But now there there's a doc. And, you know, what reason would people have to listen? Just kidding. But anyway. Hey, you can't read while you drive to work. So that's you've always true. got diking out. Yeah. Where, I just saw another TikTok recently that cited it. That's where I got it. Just like a screenshot as a green screen and lesbians yeah. talking about points they found interesting on yeah. my TikTok for you page. Do you want to do a whole episode on it, Carolyn? On the master dot? I mean, if we could find out who wrote it. Maybe that'd be worth doing um, an episode. Well, then I'll spiral out even more because I have been spiraling about this podcast. Yeah. And we need it to be funnier. We need (laughs) to have lighter topics. (laughs) We need to joke. We need to have comedians back on. I'm spiraling. This is listed under comedy interviews on Apple Podcasts. And I don't know if we could do a whole episode on a document. I mean, uh, I feel like there could be a, a comedic take. Maybe we make it uh, an off topic. I'm uh, going to do <laughs> Am I Straight Master Doc? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then we can talk about that. I I mean, I feel like. Okay. I don't want to like <laughs> clown on this. It's a great resource. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm reading it through. It, it's great because um, it's like hyperlinked and, and organized. Um, you know, what is compulsory heterosexuality? How do I know if I'm a lesbian? But I like fictional men slash male celebrities. Um, but I think I've liked men before. Conflicting feelings about men. This is a lot about men for something about am I a lesbian? Um, <laughs> attraction versus compulsory heterosexuality. It's an interesting guide. So we'll we'll put it in the notes and then, um, you know, maybe we can discuss it on discord uh for now and see if there's enough to make a a whole episode about it but i'm just looking at the credit work cited at the bottom of it and it's a handful it's a handful of tumblers yeah see i i also like i haven't gone through to vet all these things that are credited and with anything that's like very lesbian focused i want to make sure that there's no yeah yes yes so that's why i can't uh i can't heartily say i recommend this uh resource or anything i i will post it but not endorsing in in any way and not sure who wrote it so like tread tread lightly but yeah if if you need a a resource to help you navigate am i a lesbian if you need something more than like i um exclusively want to (laughs) you know sleep with or be in a relationship with women depending on whether you're like you know where you fall in the romantic sexual spectrum if you need more than that then you know this this doc might help you through it yeah (laughs) give it a whirl we'll link it in the show notes yeah feel like such an asshole because for me that's just like oh yeah i'm clearly a lesbian like i can't i feel like like if if you really need to like you know uh read like this much literature about it it's like you're probably fluid <laughs>
you're probably somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah, I feel like if 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 you're if you're a hard L, it it, it could be more clear. But a- actually, that's not true because there are Make a lot of like later in light lesbians. Yeah, that's you know, true. it's it's not as clear for for everyone. Um, you know, I'm just speaking from like my own perspective, and it was very much like. Oh yeah, the uh, but <laughs> some people don't know. Maybe we should have a doc. Am I afraid of being bi? How about that? Am I afraid of being bi? Am I bi? afraid of identifying as pan? Um. <laughs> I think I think that's also that's a good companion document. Uh, TikTok, get on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If you have any questions, uh, please, again, dykingout at gmail.com and uh, follow us on social media at dykingout everywhere. Uh, follow me at TGI Carolyn. I'm going to be trying to do more stand up shows. Um, a listener came up to me after a show, shout out to Kate, and said, uh, You know, I didn't know you like just did stand up outside of like dyking out. Not so much post pandemic, but trying to get more into it and i am going to be uh doing more shows so follow me uh at tgi carolyn that's where i'll post all my shows in my stories great i'll do that too i'll get better about posting and doing stand-up post-pandemic i think now that it's getting warmer out yes things are a little less sad i'll be out there more it's the perfect season to be stuck in a windowless room with uh men who hate women Mm. thank you for digging out with us this week (laughs) we'll see you next tuesday there's something weird going on with influencers right now i'm a little freaked out they just get everything they want Everything's a little too perfect. Their smiles are a little too straight. They're using filters I can't find anywhere. I know what I'm about to say might sound a little unhinged, but I think it might be witchcraft. At least, that's what Jenna Clayton thought right before she went missing. We're excited to introduce a new show from Realm, If I Go Missing, The Witches Did It, starring Oscar-nominated actress Gabourey Sidibe. When a Black writer goes missing, a white podcast host with a savior complex takes up the cause of finding her and collides with a coven of influencers she suspects are responsible. This show is a little bit of the craft meets Mean Girls meets Get Out. Learn more about If I Go Missing, The Witches Did It at realm.fm and be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.